It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Manchester is Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. I'm your host, Dominic Booth. I'm delighted to be joined once again by Samuel Luckhurst and Tyrone Marshall. Uh, Good afternoon to you both. Good afternoon. Hello, Dom. And it was a very good evening for Manchester United on Thursday night against Roma in the Europa League semi-final. First leg at Old Trafford. It wasn't looking too rosy at one stage with a a 2-1 deficit going into half-time, but United scored five unanswered goals to win 6-2, give themselves one foot in the Europa League final, really. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer should be fairly confident of breaking his semi-final curse, so-called semi-final curse. Samuel, this was... um, at times, United at their absolute best, wasn't it? It was virtuoso stuff in the second half. It was, I'd say, it was close to as flawless a half that you've seen from United all season. When you've got players like Pogba, Cavani, and Fernandez specifically playing at that level, then you're not just going to win. You're going to win quite handsomely. And Roma did look like a seventh place. Uh, Italian side, uh, Chris Smalling didn't do anything to suggest that United made a grave error in jettisoning him last year. But it was just it was just really enjoyable to watch. I thought at half time that although United obviously went in two one down, they they were clearly the better side. It was just on a couple of uh, instances that the defending uh, just deserted them, and unfortunately for them, Roma capitalised on that. But given that there were what still three halves left in the whole tie even at 2-1 down I thought well United should should pre- still be pretty confident of actually winning this overall and as it turns out they've they've pretty much done the job with with a game to spare because of how relentless they were in in the second half and I just think as as I said in that second half I just think everyone in the stands on the pitch was at the top of their game Cavani when when he's in that form and when he's sh- shows the hunger that he's shown since the, the second half at Tottenham. He, he is an, a hell of an asset. And I think just as I was preparing to come on to this, someone alerted me to a tweet from a reporter for ESPN in, in Barcelona saying that Cavani has decided to, to stay next season. I think last week someone in Uruguay said that he decided not to stay in uh, in Manchester next season. But it, it would solve a big problem for United because realistically, in terms of the strikers, they would ordinarily be in the market for. The, the prices are too steep this summer, whereas next summer, Kane would have two years left in his contract. Haaland's release clause, if he's still at Dortmund, would be active. So next year is the more is is the ideal time to go for a striker if they can keep Cavani for another season. So it's 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 looking pretty rosy, and you know, looking at the Real and Arsenal game as well, I think there's every reason why United should feel even more confident of winning this tournament now. Yeah, it's only Unai Emery's uh, strange record of winning the Europa League multiple times stands between them, maybe. Uh, we'll have to see what Arsenal can muster in the second leg. Tyrone, it's worth concentrating on Cavani, though. A, a virtuoso performance from him, really, um, on Thursday night. His first goal was uh, an absolute peach, played a, a big goal in Fernandez's opener, uh, and then a tap-in really for his second, but it's a classic Cavani goal. Solskjaer said that he'd love to keep him for another year. And like Samuel said, it would it would save United a lot of money, to solve solve certain problems, and it, it just seems to add something to their attack that they don't have anywhere else uh, in their squad. 
Yeah, I mean, in, in the space of seven months, he's shown United exactly what they've been missing. Anthony Martial had a decent season last year. You know, I, th- I think it's only fair to point that out, but he has been poor this year. And you compare United's attack with Cavani as the spearhead to Martial as the spearhead, and it is night and day. Um, I mean, Cavani's zest and his work rate and his, you know, he leads the United press when, when he's leading the line and, and Martial just doesn't press to the same regard. So even in that effort, he makes them look a better team. And it's clear that having a natural number nine is is what they've been missing. And, you know, Sam was right there. I mean, it's basically a £100 million decision whether he stays or goes, isn't he? Because if he goes, United have got to replace him. They can't expect to challenge for the title next year if they go back to Martial leading the line. I don't think they can expect to finish second next year if they go back to Martial leading the line. So, you know, they, they have got to keep him. I've always, I felt over the last couple of weeks that, what Solskjaer said has sounded fairly, I would say defeatist, but like Solskjaer's almost expecting him to go at the moment. He, you know, he, he's clearly not given up hope. This idea of playing in front of a full Old Trafford is is clearly his biggest his biggest play at the moment to, to try and keep him. But from what Solskjaer said, it has felt like he believes Cavani would, will probably go back. So, you know, I mean, a performance like last night and playing with Pogba and Fernandez can only help in, in trying to convince him. It shows that United are, are not far away and that, the, you know the Europa League should be the minimum of their ambitions. Really, it was you know it was world class players doing world class things with with those three last night. I, I thought they just dominated that that performance. They, they were head and shoulders above their own teammates. Never mind the Roma team; they they were that good. Pogba and Cavani were were both spectacular. And you know it's it's the goals with Cavani that that catch the eye. Although he missed two pretty presentable chances as well, but the finished for his first was absolutely ruthless but his two assists i mean paul Scholes would have been proud of those the the pass with his left foot when he was falling over for fernandez for the first was perfectly weighted the ball with the outside of his right foot on the half volley to greenwood was was majestic and you know it, it was just a, a stunning all-round performance yeah it's maybe wor- worth restating as well that united um you know no guarantees of keeping paul pogba either this this summer given um the situation with his contracts and, and what mina raiole's agent has said about his future um, Samuel, the, the idea of losing both Cavani and Pogba in, in one summer for United in a summer where it may be difficult to, to stump up the cash to replace them, that's uh, ground zero, isn't it, really, for United? I think Pogba's quite realistic about his future because a little bit like with De Gea, it's very difficult to see which club he would go to. Florentino Perez has said that without the Super League, Real Madrid can't afford any big transfers. Juventus' finances are not in a great state and they could even miss out on qualifying for the Champions League next season. I suppose the only alternative would be Paris Saint-Germain, but they've not really been talked about as... As, as an option for Pogba, it's it's about going to Spain or going back to Italy. I don't think PSG would necessarily appeal to him as much as as those two, those two clubs either. And if he can wait another year, then then so be it. Because from, from what I've been told, his his family are very very happy. His wife is um, enjoys herself in in Manchester where they live in in Cheshire. They've got two young boys who they're they're bringing up in England as well, which they're clearly very happy to do. So so that. That helps United, certainly, if, if they want to mount a title challenge next season, keeping Paul Pogba. The flip side of it is that they they might lose him without uh, obtaining a fee next year, which is, is something I don't think they can really countenance, really, particularly the way their finances have been impacted by, by the pandemic. But it, it is a really difficult scenario they're in because there's been no willingness to on Pogba's part from Pogba Pogba Pogba's camp to negotiate a new contract either I think he's you know the, the mind is made up they've been quite public in that as well but the difference 
now with Pogba is that he's being tactfully managed by Solskjaer. And in fairness to Solskjaer with his man management style with Pogba specifically, it's been very effective. I mean, it's we've touched upon it before. The irony is that Pogba's season came alive after Raiola came out with that interview with Tuto Sport on the eve of the, the Leipzig game in December. I think since then it's been... Pogba or Luke Shaw um, for as, as the candidates for for the Player of the Year award at United. So there's an, there are an awful lot of things to address still, and of course it would be a lot easier for United to resolve Pogba's situation sooner rather than later. But it's just one of those summers where we're all braced for how hectic it's going to be. You've got a European Championship that compromises the the flow of the transfer market. The window obviously closes at the end of August, early September, you go back to the World Cup year. And I think that was an even more fraught of a window for United because the window closed before their first Premier League game of the season. But with France, I think it was at the the last Euros, uh, Deschamps prevented agents from having access or or, or entering the the team hotel. And of course, at that time, United were, were trying to sign Pogba from Juventus. So, so much can happen within the next two three months, four months even, regarding Pogba, that I wouldn't be surprised if he is still at United next season uh, or if a club out there somehow finds a way of signing him. Real Madrid, as I said, Perez has been very open about their issues, but more often than not, they do find a way uh, to get what they want, whether it's paying off the debt on the training ground or or signing Gareth Bale, which, from what I was told, that that sum uh, was completely loaned to them by uh, some some investment banker in Israel. So it wasn't any of their money that went into that deal at the time. Yeah, it should be an interesting saga maybe to play out. But when he's playing like he, he did on Thursday night, Tyrone, there are a few better. United, it's another Cavani situation. United would have to pay millions and millions to, to find a player like Pogba. I know we've spoken about Jack Grealish and other players who could maybe replace him. We've said that Donny van der Bitt debate may be a replacement for him, but obviously it doesn't look to be the case at the moment. Pogba's is priceless, isn't he, at the moment? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I mentioned before and I kind of did my piece this morning on this, that those three are United's three world-class or, or closest to world-class players. And the concern is that, that yeah. two of them, we don't know if they'll be here next year. You know, Cavani United will obviously hope to convince in terms of Pogba, I certainly think Sol's got to be arguing this, and I think there's a case that you know the, the pandemic has had an impact, and if you've got an asset like that, I guess you need to recoup some money. But if United are realistic about challenging next season, then they just have to keep Pogba and accept that they might have to lose him on a free in in 2022. I mean, to lose Pogba on a free transfer twice would would look pretty amateurish, I guess, from United. But if he takes them to the title or very close to the title next season, then it, it's probably a price worth paying. And on this form, you, you wouldn't rule that out. He's been United's best player in in this calendar year. I think in the last month he's been the Premier League's best player. On this form, he is he is the best player in this league. I mean, he's absolutely phenomenal. You know, his role in the first goal last night, I thought, was just sublime. That that combination of of strength and skill that not that many players have, and he looks like he's he's been in the mood since Tottenham, really, where he just knows he's on the top of his game and he's going to dominate games and and he can dominate games, and it almost looks too easy for him at times. He is, I think, this is undoubtedly his best spell at United. It's. A shame it's taken five years to to see this, and it is a quirk that it's come at a point when you know five months ago in in mid December, I think we all thought his his goose was cooked at United. Solskjaer, like Samuel said, deserves credit for the way he's he's managed him. But there is you can certainly imagine if United have Pogba, Fernandez, and Cavani next year linking up like this, then they could go very close to to the title. But the concern is that the two of them could go. But I just I don't see a scenario where you can risk selling Pogba this year because. 
I, I can't see anyone paying 80 million for him with a year to go on his contract. And if the best you're going to get is, is 50 million, you know, he's worth more than that. And signing a replacement, I mean, it, a phenomenal leap of faith to suggest Donny van der Beek can get anywhere near this level, to be honest. Jack Grealish looks a fine player, but you're talking £100 million to get him. I mean, he's he's not worth two poor Pogba's, is he? I just don't see a scenario where it's it's in United's sporting interest to sell Pogba this summer. No, I was just getting in our uh, regulation mention of Donny van der Beek and uh, being slightly kind to him. But yeah, on form, absolutely right, uh, Tyrone. Um, elsewhere on the pitch against Roma, I guess there was some debate, Samuel, about Solskjaer's selection, especially in the, in the centre of midfield. Uh, McFred, as they are seemingly called by everybody these days, but Tomane and Fred in central midfield. Um, neither of them had particularly great games, especially in the first half. Maybe they, they both improved probably in the second half, but Solskjaer hit back quite harshly, really, at um, Paul Scholes and Aaron Hargreaves when they, they said that he should have made a change at halftime, brought Greenwood on, put Pogba in the centre and take one of those two off. But he was proven right in the end. Was it a decision that you agreed with? Uh, first of all, I can't believe you've not mentioned Jackie Grunen after the quote she gave yesterday about oh, Van der yeah. Beek. <laughs> uh, I mean, if anyone hasn't seen it, effectively Jackie Grunen, who's the, the Dutch United women's player, she said that uh, she joked to Van der Beek that she'd had more minutes at Old Trafford this season and the joke didn't go down well, which uh, it, it isn't, doesn't <laughs> come as a surprise. No, no, particularly after, particularly for those of us who sat on Van der Beek's um, Zoom call earlier this season, he, he, he wasn't he seemed rather humorless in that. Uh, but I, I, I agree with, um, when I saw the quote from Solskjaer last night where he, I don't know, I only saw it in black and white, didn't see it on telly, but he sounded quite terse in addressing what Skulls and Hargreaves had said. But I didn't think that there was a necessary, that there was a really compelling case to make substitution at half time. Yes, United were trailing, but as they, they were the better side, I think, overall. They were just undone by individuals switching off at the wrong moment. You look at the the second goal, De Gea's positioning could have been better. Wambisaka, I've no idea what he was doing. Tracking back, was he injured? Did he have cramp? It, it was it was strange. He was just he was borderline jogging. Maguire and Shaw were caught on their heels. Lindelof was drawn out. It was just one of those goals where it reflected badly on on everyone. And yeah, it's it's quite reassuring that you see some fans who say you know look people are moaning about McTominay and Fred what the hell do you want him to do go out all guns blazing and isolate a midfielder against a team that are clearly geared up to counter-attack which Roma you know tried and I think the irony for Roma is that I'd say their best spell was between Cavani equalising and Cavani making it 3-2 I thought at that point they were probably at their most threatening and United did have to switch on a lot more um, in, in defence, but Solskjaer said afterwards that there was, he addressed a tactical tweak, he corrected a problem. I think the second goal was playing on his mind and the lack of tracking back. I mean, again, with the first goal, Pogba very willingly tracked back and was unfortunate to, to give away a penalty, even though he's a bit daft in, in raising his hand as, as much as he did. But again, I think, you know, Solskjaer, he, he certainly has issues with his use or non-use of substitutions and it's been a recurring theme this season with United that sometimes he's not made a change when he should have or certain a certain player hasn't been used when the fans have been clamoring for that player to come on Ahmad is certainly one who, who springs to mind but last night there was I think his overall management was was pretty flawless really I think that the team he picked was fair uh, Greenwood came on he got a goal Matic came on to 
you know, consolidate that that four goal lead. It, it all went according to plan in the end, despite um, a couple of instances in the first half where they were just undone. And unfortunately for them, they they conceded in both cases. Yeah, Solskjaer has a huge amount of faith in McTominay and Fred uh, Tyro. And there's, there's a sense from some supporters that they believe that United need to make an upgrade in that area if they're going to you know, challenge properly for the title or, or win more trophies. People like the look of De- Declan Rice and other players United have considered in that area. Uh, is, it, is it something that needs addressing maybe long term? In the short term, they seem to be safe as houses, really. Yeah, they do in, in the short term. And I, I think they work better when Pogba is part of the front three. He brings an extra creative element to, to the attack when it's when you've got Rashford and Greenwood wide they're more dribblers and, and goal scorers really than creators when you've got Pogba and Fernandez playing in those attacking roles there's there's less demand on Fred and McTominay to to create um I thought they were both I thought I thought they were shambolic in the first half at times to be honest um I mean I wouldn't I agree with Samuel that I wouldn't have taken either of them off because I think that would have been panic stations when you're a quarter of the way through the tie and generally United have played quite well but in that spell where they kind of, you know, so United started the game well, conceded the equaliser, and then it was like they just feared the worst. And it was, it was, you know, it, it was a bit of a, a catastrophe at the end of that first half. They just felt a bit all over the place. McTominay was chasing the ball. I thought Fred was was pretty culpable for the equaliser in that Lorenzo Pellegrini should be his man, really. And Pellegrini's just walked behind him and, and Fred had no idea where he was. And then he looks up and he's in acres of space in the penalty area. So I thought both were pretty poor in the first half, but... I agree with Samuel that I wouldn't have taken either off. And generally, their, their partnership has been good, which has helped with Pogba in the final third. I do think United want to go to the next level of, of winning the Premier League and, and challenging for, for European Cups. I think there's probably an upgrade there. I know this is not going to go down well with, with the host, but I'm I'm still not convinced by Fred. I think he has too many bad games. You know, he can... It was funny last night that I was just I was just thinking how poor he'd been to be honest, and then he produced the the flick that set Pogba away for the for the equaliser, which is actually a, a really good contribution. And he is capable of those kind of things, but I'm just I'm not sure he gives you enough either defensively or with his passing to be you know to, to be a title winning defensive midfielder. Probably a good squad player, but I do still have my doubts about him long term. As good as he's been to kind of turn his United career around from how it started, he's he's certainly had an impact, but I'm still not sure he's he's bringing enough to the table, really. But I don't think it's an area that will be addressed this summer. I think it's one that's probably further down the line. Yeah, sometimes from the sublime to the ridiculous with Fred, which is maybe why yeah. I I, uh, I admire him, because that's very much me in five aside as well. So um... <laughs> I think I see a touch of, touch of myself in Fred. Uh, let's move away from the Roma game then. Plenty for United to to feel satisfied about ahead of the second leg, and we'll preview that second leg uh, in next week's podcast after the game against Liverpool, which probably has gone under the radar. There's a big a big ish Premier League game against Liverpool coming up. But before we we talk about either of those games, um, Samuel, some news around Ed Woodward's resignation that's come out on Friday lunchtime, um, claiming that he's resigned over. Um, the fact he couldn't support the Super League. There's been a, a letter written to United Fans Forum to the club after the Super League backlash. I, I know, as you said before we came on air, Samuel, we are feeling a little bit uh, weary of Super League chat after the last couple of weeks. But this backlash isn't going to go away, is it? After the, the Glazer protest last week and uh, the movements on social media and everything like that, it, it's it's going to take a while for this to, to come to fruition or sort itself out or whatever needs to happen. No, the, the pro... The protesting will continue. I don't really see that losing momentum between now and the end of the season. I think United, 
I suppose are quite fortunate that we are coming towards the final month of the season. So where there are no matches, no match days for supporters to voice their opinions, uh, there's there's going to be a period of, you know, it's, it's going to be pretty quiet, you would think. But these these supporters want change. They've they've had their fill of the Glazers. The, the, the conduct over the Super League went down as badly as you would expect it to. You know, Woodward was, was believed to have said to someone that he felt as though he underestimated the backlash. But I think there was always going to be a backlash to something like that. And especially when the club was invoking the name of Sir Matt Busby as a pioneer of European football and comparing what they were doing to what Busby was doing. With with Woodward, I, I don't know why he's trying to save face. He exercised the nuclear option in burning those bridges with United fans. I don't think many people, frankly believe the excuse that he was against the Super League. I've spoken to people on, you know, kind of like both sides of the fence, if you like, and some are adamant he wasn't supportive of it. But when you look at the timeline and the version of events, it's it's difficult not to be sceptical. And although he's gone on the fans forum call on Friday, having skipped the previous fans forum, which was two days before the Super League announcement, it's it's too little too late. And He's tendered his resignation. He's not going to be at the club next season, it looks like. So trying to, you know, pr- prolong this narrative, I don't think it's really getting him anywhere. You know, I think I think he was he, he had to be on that fans forum this morning. It would have looked appalling had he not been. He, I don't think he was at the game last night, which wasn't a surprise. But United fans have it's ever since the Glazer takeover in two thousand five. There have been protests on a sporadic basis and. It started again, and it's going to be, you know, I think, I think you talk, there's talk of up to 10,000 fans rocking up Old Trafford on Sunday uh, before the Liverpool game. So it's a chance to mobilise, and they, they are mobilising. You've, you've seen that with the, the letter from the supporters on the fans' forum and what they want to see change. Um, I, I think some of that is pipe dream stuff, really. I don't think the Glazers are going to suddenly say, OK, we'll give a load of control to, to supporters. But you're not going to affect change if you just you know, sit idly by and, and do nothing. And these, these fans are trying to do something about that. And whether they affect change or not remains to be seen. But I think seeing over the last two weeks or so, how much support there is now for for supporters of football clubs in in England in in trying to you know take back a measure of control so they they can have a, a tangible stake in their club. Yeah, Tyrone, this weekend's uh, planned protest uh, on the day of the Liverpool game at Old Trafford. It seems like a good platform for these supporters to to voice their concerns. It's not been it's not been really a relevant topic until the Super League, obviously, bring has brought it back into into focus rightly uh, many will say but this weekend seems like a good opportunity for that movement to really lay down a marker really in what it, what it wants to say yeah you know i think the anti-glazer sentiment is, has obviously always been there and it's been there for 16 years but you know when they've been here as owners for so long it, it kind of bubbles under the surface people have got used to them the, the momentum of of green and gold in 2010 it had kind of disappeared and although there was anti-glazer and anti-woodwood chants last january um you know they were from, I suppose, a vocal minority inside the ground. And then with the signing of Fernandez, things picked up a bit. And then we got locked down, obviously, and, and it kind of lost momentum again. But I, I think there'll be, I think there'll have to be some turnaround for, for the protest now to, to lose momentum. I think this, you know, the, the European Super League has reignited the, the strength of feeling against the club's owners. And I don't think that's going to go away now. I think that was reignited by Joel Glazer's open letter, which just treated United supporters with complete contempt, really, in 
in the way it addressed matters and talk of rebuilding trust and communication when he hadn't spoken directly to them for, for 16 years. Um, you no, know, it was just treating United fans as if they were idiots, frankly. And I think, you know, the, that strength of feeling isn't going to go away now. And I think this is probably just the start of this protest. I don't think it'd be any surprise if there was protests in the ground next year. Obviously, if United sign Haaland and Sancho, then there, there might be, you know, there might be some who are just there to see the football who were perfectly happy to stay quiet. But I think an awful lot of matchgoers have, have had enough now and, and have seen enough of their club being rinsed and, and aren't going to go quietly. I guess the, you know, the issue is, we've kind of touched on this last week's podcast really, but the issue is where we go from here. I, you can't see a scenario at the moment where they do sell. And it feels like before any sale, it, it almost feels like it needs some kind of government legislation to, to give fans a, a voice. Because, you know, I said last week, if they sell, you're looking at three and a half, four billion pound. And I just don't see how any good can come of a football club being sold for, for three and a half, four billion pound. Because at that price, no one is buying Manchester United to preserve a community asset or for the joy of owning their boyhood club. People who are buying buying businesses for that sort of money are buying it because they can tempt us a bit more cream to be whipped off the top. So, you know, I think there needs to be some kind of, of legislation. I think 50 plus one is an absolute pipe dream, to be honest. But there needs to be some kind of legislation that gives fans a greater say and, and some kind of control in what's happening at their football club. I think the latest risible thing that Woodward said as well on the staff meeting call, uh, which he had on Friday morning before when the fans from calls, speaking to someone who listened in the call was that uh, he, he, he said it was continental Europe driving the Super League. Now you read all the reports and the various credible journalists who do sports news reporting and they've all reported that this was like the brainchild effectively of the American owned English groups and Joel Glazer was one of the co-chairmen listed in the Super League's introductory um, statement with Andrea Agnelli and, and Florentino Perez. So to try and change this narrative that, oh, it's it looks convenient because I think Real Madrid, Barcelona and Juventus haven't officially withdrawn from it. So it's almost like, well, we can pass the buck on to them. Well, no, we've everyone's seen the statement where Joel, Joel Glazer was championing this concept. And again, it's just, you know, it, it really does seem pointless. There's no point even building bridges now it's you know they've exercised the nuclear option and um there's no chance they're going to be rebuilding them the interesting thing about the the protest ahead of this game as well i guess is that joel glazer and john henry appear to be best bodies really in terms of ownership models and and trying to push through reforms which is you know i i guess it's pretty galling for united and liverpool fans that their owners are kind of working so closely together at, at league, yeah. in league yeah that would, would blow up the structure of English football and conversely that might well bring the, the fans together I said last week again you know there's there's no if it was a full house there's no harm in United and Liverpool fans exchanging a few barbs within reason obviously but it's pretty clear that the people who go to Anfield every week and the people who go to Old Trafford every week have far more in common with each other than they do with John Henry or, or Joel Glazer and on these kind of issues you, you feel yeah. they need to, to work together really just as the um, the owners of their club are, are working so closely together as well. Yeah, that's a really good point. And maybe if the Super League plans were still plan, you know, still in place and were going to go ahead, the, the fans would maybe unite more than they, they maybe won't do this weekend. We'll see what happens there. Uh, in terms of the game itself, it's a, a bit of a strange one, Samuel. It feels like after the Lord Mayor's show a little bit for United, obviously with the Europa League a, a greater priority and the, the league sewn up in a sense... United can guess take a big leap to knocking Liverpool's chances of um, finishing in the top four and maybe sealing second themselves. But other than that, it's not. Um, it doesn't feel like it's going to be a classic on the pitch. No, it's 
it's felt like a hollow running certainly did last week at Leeds. I mean, there was, it felt like there was an edge going into that game because of the, the super league backlash. And I mean, if even leaving Ellen road, even sitting in Ellen road with no supporters present, you, you still feel the sheer hatred for Manchester United that uh, permeates throughout that whole, throughout that whole area, but nothing, nothing really happened of note last week, other than the, the flyover banner that was arranged by United fans. And, I suppose this week's game, it, the, the dominant side of it, the build-up is uh, all about the protest that's going to take place and the walk from town to the stadium. Uh, I, I think that had the clubs been in the Super League still, then Liverpool fans would have you know, probably been linking arm-in-arm arm with United fans. You could have had the surreal sight of Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher leading thousands of militant Reds from Manchester and Liverpool down to Matt Busby way up to the ground and... And protesting, but I think it's just going to be solely United supporters um, voicing their opposition to to the Glazer family. But in terms of the actual football, where the league, as you say, is pretty much boxed off United, I think it would take a pretty disastrous capitulation for them to somehow not qualify for the Champions League. They, they are going to qualify for the Champions League. They almost certainly will finish second as well. And the sooner they can get that done the better in that certain players can prepare uh, for the Europa League final because I think it's safe to assume they'll be going to uh, Gdansk next month and for someone like Cavani in particular who I think against Roma that was his first start in two weeks and you it certainly told because he he obviously doesn't want to play or start a certain amount of games within a certain period of time he feels as though he's got to look after himself in a in a particular way and doing that has resulted in the best form of his United career so far over the last uh, two or three weeks, whatever it's been. So there are certain players, it's in their best interest for United to have the league wrapped up so then they can bring in Van der Beek and Ahmad and Hannibal Mejbri and you know maybe Phil Jones can be the mascot for a game on the final day of the season, you know, something like that. And all these fringe figures can, can get their they're outing at Old Trafford before the end of the season. And then you've got the Europa League final where players are in a, a good condition to um, to, to take on Villarreal or, or Arsenal. But the, the flip side to that, I suppose, I remember Ferguson saying in 2009 that because they'd won the league, I think he said something like the worst thing that could have happened was that when it came to the final day, which was some nothing game at Hull City where Richie Delat, Darren Gibson, Makeda were starting in, he felt as though he made too many changes and... So the players who started in the final had gone some like 10 days without playing a game. And he felt that was a disadvantage in the end. So it's it's not going to be mass rotation between now and the end of the season. But Solskjaer did indicate after the game on Thursday night that certain players who have deserved more minutes would get more minutes if they can uh, secure their, their position before before the final day of the season. Yeah, and certainly Tyrone against Liverpool, it's not going to be mass changes for United in, in a game like this. And there is that, that fillip of, of really denting Liverpool's own Premier League season and getting second wraps up, like Samuel says, as quickly as possible. There is, and I would imagine that, I mean, presuming Manchester City win at Crystal Palace tomorrow, the biggest motivation for United is is making sure they don't hand the title to, to City on a silver platter, because if Liverpool win at Old Trafford, I think that will crown City champions um, United have, have been in the position before when their their own poor results have, have handed the title to to City. Obviously, the the year they won three two at the Etihad, they they went and lost at home to to West Brom to to gift the title away. And you know there, there will be frustration at United, I think, at the way their title challenge folded a, a bit too meekly in January and, and February. And 
what they don't want to do now is is lose a game to to hand it to City. They want they want to make City go and win it at least. Um, so I think that should serve as motivation. Um, the idea of of denting Liverpool's top four hopes should as well. Although you wonder how much players really care about that without the fans in there. Um, you know, a lot of these players will be friends with national teams and, and things like that. And while it's an obvious rivalry, you wonder when the players play behind closed doors quite how much something like that will, will matter. I think the, the biggest the biggest sense of pride for United and the biggest sense of personal pride in that game should be if City win in, in terms of making sure City go and, and win the title of their own accord and, and United don't hand it to them. And I think that's probably going to be the motivating factor. So your prediction then, Tyrone, I'll come to you first. Uh, I think United 2-1. Samuel? I'll say the same, 2-1 United. Two, uh, two fairly cagey predictions there. We'll be back on uh, on Monday to see uh, how right or wrong these two guys are. But for, that, uh, for this week, that's all we've got time for for today's podcast. Thank you both, Samuel and Tyrone. Thank you. Thank you very much, Dom. Thank you. And we'll be back for another episode of the Manchester is Red podcast very, very soon. Thanks for listening. Please leave us a like and a subscribe. And thanks for listening.